I invite you now to take your Bibles and turn with me for our scripture reading for our sermon text this morning. Today we're going to look together at 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. First John chapter three verses one through ten. This is God's holy word for us today. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure." Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is God's holy word for us today. Let's pray. May the unfolding of your word give us light, O God, that we may be instructed in your wisdom. Give us now eyes to see and ears to hear what you have to say to us by your spirit and through your word. Empower the preaching of this word. Write this truth upon our hearts that we might receive it with faith and with eagerness to obey. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In this Easter series that we're currently in, we are learning what it means to be raised with Christ, to be made a new creature, to be born again. Just as Jesus went down into death and was raised up to a new life by God, we too are raised from spiritual death to spiritual life by God so that we can live a new life for God. 
Our scripture reading from 1 Peter earlier this morning captured this perfectly. In 1 Peter 2.24, we heard, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. These are gospel realities that we're talking about. And we symbolically and liturgically reenact these realities through the seasons of Lent and Easter. That's why we spent Lent talking about dying to sin, which is one way you could describe repentance, and why in Easter we're talking about living under righteousness, which is about our new life in Christ. Two weeks ago, we saw that the new birth is the commencement of the Christian life and that God alone is the one who causes us to be born again through the word of the gospel. He gives us a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. And then last week, we saw that the new birth is the necessary starting point of the Christian life because, Jesus tells us, unless we are born again... We cannot see and we cannot enter the kingdom of God. We need a new spiritual nature with eyes that can see and ears that can hear, with minds that can understand and hearts that can believe. And before that happens, we cannot see or enter God's kingdom because we cannot see or understand who Jesus is for us. This new nature that we need, this new nature that we get in the new birth, this new nature comes from the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. As we saw last week, that wind of God that blows where it wishes and who brings about divine effects. This morning, we will move from the necessity of the new birth, which we covered last week, you must be born again, will move from the necessity of the new birth to the nature of the new birth. If the new birth gives us a new nature, what is that new nature like? In what ways does the new birth change us? That's where we're going this morning. The first way that the new birth changes us is by cultivating in us the nature of Jesus. This is the deep Easter connection between Christ's resurrection and our spiritual resurrection. Just as the new life that we have in the new birth is the resurrection life of Christ... So also, the way we live our new lives after we're born again is cultivating in ourselves the righteous life of Christ. There's His resurrection life that causes us to be born again, and there's His righteous life which causes us to live new lives ourselves. His resurrection life makes us new creatures, and His righteous life makes us live like new creatures. There is this double grace that comes from Christ 
when we are spiritually united to Him. Paul teaches this clearly in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, where he says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you hear the two pieces of that? We are created in Christ Jesus. When you're born again, when you become a new creature, you're remade, you're reborn, you're recreated. Where do do you get recreated? Where are you when this new thing comes into being? You're in Christ. You're in Christ. You are created in Him. You're brought to new life in connection, spiritual connection with Jesus where you get to share in His resurrection life. You get some of it now as you're spiritually reborn, and you get the rest of it when Christ returns at the resurrection of your own body, not just His. We are created in Christ Jesus. That's the new resurrection life. And then it says we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, to live like those new creatures to be about the business God has ordained for us to walk in the good works He's called us to walk in. Created in Christ Jesus, new life. For good works, new living. And when we are in Christ, we get both of these. It's a double grace. We are given a share in the nature of Christ so that His perfect person and His finished work regenerate and renew us into His image and likeness. Now, let's see how John teaches us this in our passage. Let's jump into the middle of the passage and begin with verses 4 through 8. John begins, in this section we're looking at first, John begins with a definition of sin in verse 4. Look what he says. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. A life of sinning, John says, is a life of lawlessness, which is a life of disobedience and rebellion against God's commandments. That's what we are. That's our nature. That's who we are. That's how we live. We are sinners through and through. We're in sin, dead in sin, as the Bible tells us. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning, everyone who lives an ongoing, habitual, sinful life, that person is practicing lawlessness. They're an outlaw to God's justice. They're a person who is in rebellion against the Lord. That's where John starts. And then John brackets his main point in this paragraph, which he'll tell us in verses 6 and 7. Around verses 6 and 7, in 5 and 8, he brackets his central point with a repetition of the mission of Jesus. He tells us in verse 5 and then verse 8 why Jesus came. And those are the brackets around his central point. So look what he says. In verse 5, he says, You know that he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. 
And again in verse 8, he says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Here it is. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus came to take away sin, and in parallel to that, he came to destroy the works of the devil. This was the mission that Jesus was on, sent by the Father. The work of Christ can be described in lots of ways in the Bible, but the way John describes it here is the work of Christ is designed to destroy the works of the devil. Now, what are the works of the devil? Well, as he says in verse 8, the devil is the original sinner. It says he's been sinning from the beginning. The devil's the original sinner. And he seeks to produce sinners in his own image and likeness. He's the original sinner, and those who practice sin, it says, they are of the devil. He's the original sinner, and he seeks to reproduce his nature in sinners. He seeks to reduplicate himself. He's like this virus that wants to just reduplicate and spread and infect the original sinner spreads his infectious, sinful nature to us, to creatures who join him in his life of sin. He reproduces himself in human beings who sin like him, who are committed to sinning like him and living like him and looking like him. Now, that might not be your intention. Right Before you're a Christian, you probably don't remember thinking, all right, today I'm going to be extra like the devil. Right? Nobody just had that conscious thought, oh, today, where'd I put my devil horns? Let's see. Here we go. All right. And then you went off to do some, some Satanism or something. Like That's not what anybody was consciously doing. That's because this isn't something that we're all consciously thinking. This is something down in the base of who we are and what we are. Our moral and spiritual nature has a certain quality. And it's the same quality that's in his nature. And as he leads Adam and Eve and everybody else into lives of sin, he is producing in us people that are in his image and in his likeness. His works, the devil's works, are to make a world of sin and evil and death. That's the devil's mission. That's his work. And the mission of Christ is designed to destroy that work, to undo it, to obliterate it. Jesus came to destroy his works, to take away sin, to end the reign of death, to make new creatures in his own image and likeness who no longer live in sin, people who are being conformed into the image of Christ, as Paul says in Romans 8. Now, within these two bracket statements in verse 5 and verse 8 about the saving mission of Jesus, John makes his central point in this part of the paragraph. So let's look together now at verses 6 and 7. John says, No one who abides in Him, speaking of Christ, no one who abides in Christ keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Christ or known Christ. 
Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Which then links up with the first part of verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning, not righteousness, but sinning, is of the devil. So what's he saying? He's saying, little children, children of God, do not be fooled. Don't be deceived. Abide in Christ and you'll be righteous. Abide in the devil and you'll be a sinner. This first point is about where you live. The word to abide, to dwell, to stay, to remain. Where's your dwelling? Where are you abiding? What home are you living in? That's the question. Are you rooted and abiding in Christ or in his enemy? That's the question. And he says, nobody who's in Christ keeps on living like the devil. It's impossible, he says. In verse 6, abiding or remaining or staying or dwelling Living in Christ brings about a life of righteousness. When we are united to Christ, John says, when we are abiding in Him, we cannot continue to live in sin. And why? It's because the new nature that we have is the nature of Jesus Not just his resurrection life. His resurrection life is what causes us to be born again. But now that we're born again, now that we're created in Christ, now that we're new creatures, we have his righteous life. His nature is now inside of us. We are now connected to him. We have a new address. It's not sin and death with the devil. Our new address is righteousness with Christ. His new nature is down on the inside. The new nature is the nature of Jesus. So if you have it, your life will look different. It will begin to look more and more righteous. Verse 7, he says, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. So if you're living a righteous life, that comes from Jesus. That doesn't come from us. He's the one who's changing you. He's the one who's making you new. He's the reason you're born again in the first place. And if you find yourself living for him today, that's him. That's him in you. You're dwelling in him. You're in in union with him. His double grace is flowing to you. The grace that makes you alive and the grace that makes you live like it. You have the nature of Jesus, and his nature is righteous. And so as you're in him, your life begins to look more and more like that as you abide, as you stay put in Jesus, as you dwell in him. He begins to dwell in you. And not only are you alive from spiritual death, but you can look at your life and you can see Jesus didn't just Forgive me and then leave me. But he's changing me. And I can look at myself and I can think, you know, I'm not where I want to be, of course, but I can look back and see how far I've come, see what God delivered me from, to see what kind of sin I used to be in and I'm not now. 
And I may not be where I want to be, but thank God I'm not back there anymore. And I can't take credit for all that. Yes, I I participate in that. I was active. I didn't just sort of sit back. Abiding doesn't mean just get in your hammock and just let Jesus just do it while you snooze. (laughs) No, as Jesus works on you, you become more engaged because Jesus working in you makes you more alive, not less, more active, not passive. More engaged, not less. It's not a competition like if it's 80% Jesus. There's only 20% left for me to do. No, it's all Jesus, and that means you come fully alive. It's 100% both of you. He makes you alive. But it's Him doing the work in you so that He gets the glory and you get the grace. None of the credit, just the grace. When you were born again... You no longer abide in sin and death. You no longer, you are no longer of the devil. You no longer live in lawless rebellion against the will and commandments of God. Why? What makes the difference? It's because you are now in Christ, in union with Him, and His righteous nature begins to be cultivated in you. When you are born again, you are a new creature, and you begin to live like it. You begin to look and live more and more like Jesus as you are progressively conformed into His image. That's the nature of the new birth. In the last two verses of the passage, John makes a deeper connection between our new birth and our new life. How does the new birth change us? The first way is that the nature of Jesus begins to be cultivated in us more and more. But there's a deeper connection. It's not just the nature of the righteous Jesus, but the nature of God Himself begins to change us to be more godly. There's a connection to the Son, Jesus. But in the new birth, there's an even more fundamental and deeper connection with the Father. And that's where John finishes this passage in verses 9 and 10. Let's look first at verse 9. He says, No one born of God, there's our new birth, and by God he means the Father. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So the point is crystal clear. Those born of God cannot continue living a life of sin. And this is one of John's many tests of faith. It's why he said in verse 7, let no one deceive you. Those who say, oh, I'm born again, but there's no new life, are deceived, or they're lying. That's what 1 John says. They either really think they are and they're not, or they know they're not and they're just trying to deceive you. They're called hypocrites in the Bible. A person who is born of God cannot keep on living that old life of sin. Now, in the former point, the reason is because they have the nature of Jesus and they're connected to Jesus and now they're going to be like Jesus. But now he makes another point. 
Why is it that those born of God cannot continue living in sin? Well, he said in verse 9, because God's seed abides in him. God's seed abides in him. In other words, because they have been born of God, which means God's nature has been reproduced in them. Not just the righteous nature of Jesus, but the nature of the Father is reproduced in us as well. God's seed abides in Him. What's the point? John didn't have modern language to describe this. We would say now, or if John was writing this today, he might say, Christian, you can't keep on sinning. You can't keep living like this old creature. You're a new creature. You're an offspring of God. That means you have the spiritual DNA of God. Your spiritual genetics are brand new. And that means you're going to be a whole different creature in the way you function, in the way you live. You are a divine offspring. And that means you have a godly nature. The offspring of God is godly. You are now like Jesus in a deeper way because who is the offspring of God? Jesus is the natural offspring of God. He's born miraculously in Bethlehem. God is literally Jesus' father in a way he's not literally the father of anybody else. He is, Jesus therefore is perfectly like God. Like father, like son. And when you were born again, you are brought into this family, the father and the son. You're brought into this home and you're brought into this family as newborns, born again. And as you grow, you begin to take on the family resemblance. You are raised by God to spiritual life, like Jesus from the grave. And then you are raised by God to spiritual maturity, like a heavenly father with his beloved child. Jesus is raised from the dead, and then you raise your kids. And we are raised in both senses by the Heavenly Father. He gives us new life in Christ, and then He raises you right. <laughs> he raises you to look like Him, to have the family resemblance. So that when they look at you, they say, Oh, God can't deny you. You look just like Him. You are raised because you are a heavenly offspring with a divine nature, not the essence of God. You don't, you know, you're not, you know, a divine being now. We're talking about your moral and spiritual nature has been radically transformed so that you now have godliness as the fundamental nature of your soul. And, and with new natures comes new talents, new abilities, spiritual gifts, all the things we need to be Christians, all the things we need to serve the church and love one another and live the Christian life. With the brand new nature, do you know how easy it was for Michael Jordan to play basketball? I don't, I don't have the Michael Jordan nature. Okay, I can't jump, I can't run, I can't... Forget it. But now, with this new spiritual nature, you are to godliness what Michael Jordan is to basketball. It comes natural. You've got the spiritual skills and talents and competence to begin to live like a new creature. Now, Michael Jordan didn't just 
show up one day, and, and as the professional Hall of Famer that he is, he worked extremely hard to cultivate those gifts and talents that he had. And we have this new nature, and now we have to begin to grow and learn and cultivate to grow up into this family resemblance. And then in verse 10, he finishes the point this way. He says, by this it is evident. It's obvious. By this you can tell, John says, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Two families. By this you can tell which family you're in. Child of God, child of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Not in God's house, not in God's family. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. John is saying in verse 10 that you are the child of the father you imitate. Which father you resemble is which father you belong to. If your life looks like the devil's kind of life, the life that he would put his stamp of approval on, That's your dad. That's your father. That's your family. And if you have the kind of life that God would put his stamp of approval on, a life that looks like Jesus, that tells us, John says, it's evident which father is yours, which family you're in, whose DNA you have, who's raising you. So who is raising you, Christian? If you live the life of sin and rebellion against God, you are imitating your true father, the devil. His works have not been destroyed in you. But if you live the life of righteousness and obedience, you are imitating your true father, who is God. So, as verse 7 says, little children, let no one deceive you. Don't be fooled today. Which father are you imitating? Who is raising you? What family resemblance do you have? When you are born again, the works of the devil are destroyed in you by the Lord Jesus. And the works of Christ are cultivated in you. And you begin to resemble your heavenly Father. That's the nature of the new birth. Final point this morning. John's absolutist language here has long puzzled interpreters and troubled Christian readers. And the reason should be clear. John seems very emphatic with no exceptions in the way he talks in this passage. He seems to be saying very clearly that the one who is born again will not sin anymore. If you're born again, you'll never sin. That's what so many have read this as saying. And you can imagine the kind of burden that would be upon all of us if we imagine that John was saying, look, if you're born again, you'll never sin again. And if you're still sinning, you're of the devil. It's like, gosh, one wrong thought, and whoop, I'm back in the devil's family. 
One, one mistake in a fit of anger, I like, you know, kick the cat. And it's like, oh, even if I apologize, I'm still of the devil. Oh, or if you hate cats. Dogs, if you kick your dog, maybe you think kicking cats makes you of the Lord. I love cats. But you know, like this would be troubling if that's what John is really saying. Is like, look, this is the will. This is what God's word says. If you, you know, if you sinned this morning, why are you here? <laughs> you're still, you're still of the devil. And this is, you know, I, I'm sort of saying in a, in a half joking way, but this is really is how people have read this, and you could see why it kind of sounds that way. No one born of God keeps on sinning. I keep on sinning, so I must not be born of God. That just sounds like good logic. It sounds like John is something of a perfectionist. It's almost like he's saying when you are united to Christ, when you're born of God, all sin goes away. And if all your sin hasn't gone away yet, you're still of the devil. That would be terribly depressing news if that was in the Bible. If that's what this really meant. But at the beginning of the passage... Verses 1 through 4, John precludes that kind of interpretation. He rescues us from that misunderstanding. John knows that the Christian life is a lengthy, lifelong process. Slowly, inch by inch, we are more and more conformed into the image of Christ. It is not automatic. It is not uninterrupted. And it is not perfect this side of eternity. We are truly new creatures if we have been born of God. We are truly children of God with the nature of Christ and the family resemblance of the Father at work in us. All that's true. John doesn't want you to minimize that. But John says in these four verses at the beginning of chapter 3, that this process will not be complete until Jesus returns. So let's conclude where John began with these tremendously comforting and hopeful words. Let's read together verses 1 through 4. John says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Oh, you are eternally loved by God, eternally loved by your Father. Just look at the kind of love that the Father has for you, that He would call you, sinner though you are, His own child, that He would claim you as His own, name you as His own, make you His. See what kind of love. The reason why the world does not know us, John continues, is that it did not know Him Oh, yes, in this world, there are challenges and difficulties and obstacles. The world is against you, but God is for you. He continues in verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be, what we will be has not yet appeared. We are God's children now, but what we will be has not yet appeared. That's where we get the language of the now and the not yet, or the already and the not yet. There are things that are real and true now that will be fully true in the future. The now and the not yet, our full likeness to Christ is our future hope, 
our living hope. What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, when Christ appears, we shall be like Him. We shall be like Him. That's future tense. We shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies Himself as He is pure. Do you see how it works? In this hope this future hope, this living hope, we go on purifying ourselves with eager anticipation of Christ's return when the job will be finished. It's not automatic. It's not perfection. It's none of that. We are children of God. We have been made new. We are in union with Christ. All His gifts, all His redemption is ours. We have the nature of the Father, His heavenly DNA coursing through us in our very bloodstream, in our moral and spiritual and character bloodstream. We are new creatures, and we will live new lives, and we will face obstacles and challenges and setbacks, and we will go through seasons even where we feel dry and distant from God. But because that seed abides in us, we cannot long stay in that condition. For God, by His Word, by His Spirit, by that working with that new nature He put down on the inside of you, He will have you back. He will lead you back to Himself. He's the one who keeps us. He's the one who protects us. And in this hope, we press on towards our heavenly inheritance. So abide in Christ, Christian. Remain in Him, dwell in Him, stay in Him, stick with Him. And seek the Father's face and stir up the new nature that He's put in you by the Word, by prayer, by fellowship, by worship, by the Spirit, by the sacraments. Everything He gives us for life and godliness. Abide in Him, seek His face, and live towards that glorious day of Christ's return when we will receive the promised inheritance. You are a child of God now. Go deeper. Go deeper. Go farther. Press on. You are a child of God. You are united to Christ. You have a living hope. No one can snatch you from the Father's hand. The good shepherd came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So lean into that life and live it to its full. This is the nature of the new birth. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would take these truths from these sweet words from 1 John and write this truth upon our hearts and mark our lives by these things and help us to take true inventory of ourselves to see that we are in the faith to see that we are truly resembling our Heavenly Father. Help us to go deeper and deeper with Christ, that His heavenly perfection, His character and virtue and innocence and holiness would be born in us more and more, that we would truly resemble our Heavenly Father, that we would be done with the life of sin, that we would pull away from the works of the devil and rely upon the perfect work of Christ to be righteous as he is righteous in Christ alone. 
and then in that forgiven, justified, brand new, born again condition to begin to grow and live according to your will and ways, to follow your word, to follow your spirit, to be the new creatures you've made us and called us to be. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to do that together at this church. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.